Thanks for listening to Middle Aged and Mediocre. I'm Cash. I'm Joel. And uh, we are a podcast about all things strange and unusual, death, UFOs, and other creepy, Cults. weird, random shows. There you go. Yeah. Not uh, just naming things in the room. Oh my god. There's a cult of ghosts. Supposedly, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and George Bush were all presidents of the United States. But the only president we acknowledged was WWF President Jack Tunney. It was the decade of glam rock, hair metal, acid-washed jeans, Hulk Hogan, the Nintendo Entertainment System, DeLoreans, and Bird vs. Magic in the NBA. Family sitcoms like Full House, Growing Pains, Family Ties, and ALF dominated television alongside Saturday morning cartoons like... Muppet Babies, DuckTales, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Jim, Rainbow, Rainbow Bright, Thundercats, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Garfield and Friends, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Adventures of the Gummy Bears, Dino Saucers, Voltron, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, The Care Bears, Mr. T, The Transformers, The Real Ghostbusters, She-Ra, The Super Mario Brothers Super Show, Beetlejuice, Silverhawks, Centurions, the Smurfs, Mask, Defenders of the Earth, and Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, and probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion more. The resurgence of 80s nostalgia began sometime in the early 2000s, but for myself and Joel, we lived the 80s, man. It could be argued that the 80s is when pulp culture was truly born. There's just something about the decade that persists to this day. The bright collars, the technological advancements, the dawn of MTV. The list goes on and on, but the point is, the 80s seem to remain a magical time in a lot of people's lives. While it's possibly just a magic trick, an illusion rooted in nostalgia, there's no doubt that its impact on our culture can still be found everywhere you look. You're listening to Middle Age Mediocre. I'm Cash. I remember! I'm Joel! And this is our top 10 80s movies. I remember that stuff. That was a lot. What's going on? That was the, that was the episode. You mentioned every cartoon ever There were made. so many more cartoons I didn't list. I had uh, to be like, somewhere I have to stop listing cartoons. That was Saturday mornings were lit. Uh, I don't know how many of those were actually on Saturday mornings, oh, but yeah. you get what I'm saying. I forgot that cartoons used to be on daily. Oh yeah, just yeah. I forgot like this, the yeah, like every a new episode every day. They didn't have a channel back in my day. Was Cartoon Network even around still? Did that stop? Cartoon Network's still around. Okay, yeah. good. Still good. Doing, still doing its thing. Good. It wasn't from the eighties. Well, alongside family sitcoms and cartoons, shows like Murder She Wrote, Dynasty, Knight Rider, The A Team, Three's Company, Saved by the Bell, MacGyver, Miami Vice, Cheers, and The Golden Girls remain beloved classics to this day. The aforementioned MTV gave the world music videos on television. What? For Michael Jackson's thriller, Bon Jovi's One of Dead or Alive, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses, Take On Me by Aha, Madonna's Aha! Like a Prayer, Def Leppard's Pour Some Sugar On Me, Janet Jackson's Nasty, and hundreds and hundreds of more hits. I remember the Just For Prayers, or the Madonna, what did you say it was? Uh, like a Prayer. Yeah, that was, was that the one that debuted like on Fox or something, and she had the Black Jesus? Uh, possibly. I know yeah. she did it at the MTV Mu- Music Awards, like, uh, where she was, or no, it was like a, yeah, like she a did virgin. like a prayer too, yeah, yeah, and like a virgin another year. Yeah. 
the video game industry existed before the 80s, but it wasn't, it wasn't until the 80s that it exploded into the mainstream. The NES re was released in North America on October 18, 1985, with 17 launch titles, including 10-yard fight, duck hunt, excite bike, ice climber, kung fu, wrecking, wrecking crew, and a little-known game about a turtle-hating plumber named Mario. I got mine in 1990, I think. 1990. I had the Nintendo definitely by, like, like by 87, 88, probably. Yeah. Uh, I got the the uh, Mario and Duck Hunt two yep. combo. Uh, the Sega Genesis would follow shortly after doing what Nintendon't, being released in the U.S. on August 14th, 1989, with eight titles. Oh, 89. Alex Kidd and the Enchanted Castle, Altered Beast, Ghouls and Ghosts, Golden Axe, Last Battle, Hell yeah. Space Harrier 2, Sega was the shit, Thunder Force 2, and Tommy Lasorda Baseball. Possibly more so than TV shows, the music, the video games, more so than anything else from the 80s. It was the films of the 80s that shaped so many of us. The 80s were the decade our modern conception of what a blockbuster is, when it should be released, and how it should be marketed took definite shape. Perhaps most importantly, the 80s killed the old Hollywood idea that lightning couldn't strike twice. Old school studio moguls saw films as individual commodities, each a separate gamble. A sequel or remake would only be made, only be a vain attempt to stem the tide of folks clamoring for something new. They didn't want to make last year's movie. They wanted to make next year's. By the 80s, unstoppable sequels such as The Empire Strikes Back and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom were proving that fan-favorite follow-ups with their locked-in audience and proven intellectual property were the future. Ever since, the film franchise, rather than single series, has become the norm. For those who grew up in the 80s, this reinforcement of what exactly consisted our pop canon meant unprecedented exposure to the characters their TVs and movie screens were making them attached to. Not only did they go to the movies and enjoy Ghostbusters 84, they could count on Ghostbusters 2 and the real Ghostbusters to be there. Ghostbusters 2 was fucking pretty good. It was awesome. Uh, made my list. The invention of VHS meant the cinema wasn't the final destination for a film. VHS? Either. We're going to talk about some okay. of those. I know you got one or two. Yeah, I like them. VHS was the jumping off point in the living rooms across the country. Characters are no longer simply the... the the ones we saw on the big screen, they became our babysitters and our best friends. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Children effectively raised by their pulp culture heroes are now old enough to make movies of their own, and because of the financial risk involved with creating major studio release, the films they are increasingly being asked to create are throwbacks or reboots of the content they consumed as kids. These factors, innovation in the 80s film industry, 80s kids reaching their creative peaks, and the film industry's constant fear of gambling on anything new has created a perfect storm of 80s nostalgia. It's with that nostalgia in mind that we are going to be looking back at our top 10 favorite movies from the 80s. Joel's made a list of his five, and I've picked five of mine. We based our choices off of films that we enjoyed at the time, leaving behind the movies from the 80s that we watched later in life and became fans of. We'll cover Joel's five picks in part one and my five picks in part two. We hope you enjoy revisiting the 80s with us, and make sure you let us know what your favorite movies were when you were living life in the 80s. Yeah. Or if you didn't live in the 80s, what if you went back and watched you're not middle-aged. Yeah. Guitar solo. Put a guitar solo right there. Well, well, well. Uh, Something better than that. I don't know. That's <laughs> the best I got. So, yeah, we got your five. Uh, it just happened to work out where I just started with yours doing the write-ups on them. Uh-huh. And by the time I got through your list. You just want to save yours. Make you a big, bigger deal. I was like, this is going to be the longest episode ever <laughs> if we do all of these at once. Uh, Especially with the honorable mentions. It was so, so hard to do five. Before we get into your top five, yeah. what are your honorable... Because this was... I had like 15 yeah. that I started with. I, I Only one of yours list. was on my list, too. So yeah. that was... I could take it off mine. 
I kept adding to it. I would just keep thinking other movies, but the honorable mentions, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Of course. I mean, I'm a big Friday the 13th fan now, but like as a kid in the 80s, I was born in 79. Like I remember watching the first one. I remember those ones coming out being a bigger deal. And like the older I got, watching more of the Jason movies, you know, I kind of, he took over as my favorite, but I know honorable I... mentions definitely, I can remember being, like watching the first one just scaring the hell out of me not sleeping that night. I could definitely have probably added that to mine because I remember watching it in the 80s. Yeah. But, like, cause my dad would let me watch horror movies with him. But I don't think I really, like, appreciated horror movies yeah. until probably sometime in the 90s. Okay. Lots well, of honorable mention. Jerk. It didn't make the list because it was actually made in 79. But that's something I watched with my dad a lot a in lot. the 80s. It was a big 80s movie. Is that the one where he has the big nose? Or is that no, that's, movie? Uh, that's Roxanne. Jerk okay. is where he was born a poor black man. That's right. And he's just the world's biggest idiot, and he works at the gas station. Does he with the tin cans? Yeah, and the yeah. guy's trying to shoot him, and he keeps shooting the cans, and the guy's, someone's shooting the cans! And yeah, okay. Steve Martin's just the best. I, yeah. That movie. And uh, 87 Lost Boys. Okay. I, that's honorable mention just because I remember watching it as a kid, being excited about watching it. Had the Corys in it. Well, you can only have so many Corey movies on your list. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want to have two Corey movies. Well, I mean, you can't three. talk about the eighties. Three. Ah, one. Of them only had one Corey. Yeah. Okay. If the other one was in there somewhere, it could be a Corey's movie. That's not a Corey movie. <laughs> okay. All right, he just happens to be part of the recipe <laughs> that is the yeah. movie. But yeah, Lost Boys was so good to be. When I was a kid, you know, just Lost Boys that. is definitely one I didn't appreciate till the nineties. Uh, right, I, I don't know if I games. watched it in the eighties or not. But I did definitely went back at like in when I, in the nineties when I was probably you know when I was ten, eleven. Yeah. But that's why they they didn't make the list, but I wanted them to. Any more honorable mentions? No, just three. I, I okay. kept it to three. I mean, I like some other movies from the eighties though. So you have just just for a little interesting thing here. You, I sent you my list. Yeah. What do you think? What if you had to pick five off my list that I picked? What five do you think? Let me bring it back up here. And we won't know till part two. Yeah, we won't know. Uh, I would say that you probably picked Howard the Duck, um, Land Before Time, Temple of Doom. So you've already made them, so you can't change them, right? Mm, I already got them right written down. All right. So Temple of Doom, Howard the Duck. What I say for that, Uncle Those Buck? Those are the only two you said. Okay, Uncle Buck. Okay. Little Monsters, G.I. Joe the movie. Okay, you got two of them. Oh. So, well, okay. The, and those were all, the three that I didn't go with were very hard to go with. <laughs> <laughs> I had to really do some soul searching. <laughs> there's some. There's a lot of good movies. Like Ferris Bueller's Days Off didn't make my list. But that was a huge movie for me in the 80s. Well, then the more I was, like, trying to remember everything I watched and was, like, just Googling 80s movies yeah. to try to refresh my memory, just more and more. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that yeah. one. Oh, yeah, that one. Breakfast Club. But these were the ones that, I, like, the ones I did, the five I did, I remember were, like, I watched them constantly. Yeah. Uh, I think the only one that I, which, there's a reason why we're not going to, I'm not going to add this one to my list. Uh, and we'll get to that later. But the only one that I could have put on my list that I didn't, because I did watch it, Daily, probably, was the Masters of the Universe movie. Yeah. And there's going to be a reason we don't cover that one in this, in these, in part one or part two. Oh. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into your first one. It was Masters of the Universe. Cover it now, <laughs> but no. a bitch. Well, I'll start number five. Well, I have. Uh, oh, do you? Okay, you have a list. You start where you want. So, <laughs> we're going to start 
with License to Drive. Okay, that was my number one okay. movie from the 80s. So released on July 6, 1988 by 20th Century Fox, License to Drive stars Corey Haim as yep. his Coreyest <laughs> and his Hamest as teenager Les Anderson, who wants nothing more than his driver's license so he can have freedom and girls. Heather Graham plays love interest. Heather Graham. I, didn't, I mean, at the time, you didn't realize that was going to be Roller Skate Girl. Do you remember her name United? in the movie? Mercedes. Last name? Oh, I don't remember the last name. We're going name. full bore car puns with this. Yeah. Mercedes Lanes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> who has a boyfriend named Paolo who drives a Ferrari. Oh, yeah, he does. If you could see one Corey in the 80s, the other Corey wasn't far <laughs> behind. As Corey Feldman plays Les's friend, Dean. Hijinks ensue as Les, Mercedes, Dean, and their buddy Charles have a wild knot out, swerving in and out of trouble, including being pursued by a relentless DMV inspector and a tow truck driver with a grudge, while also being mistaken for a luxury car thief. And here's the twist. Throughout the duration of the movie, Les is never licensed to drive. Ha! He failed! With an estimated budget of $8 million, licensed to drive grossed over $22 million worldwide. And would be the second of half of that films. was just me written as a kid. <laughs> I watched it a lot. It would be the second of eight films that the two Corys appeared in together. Wow. Other titles eight? include Lost Boys, yep. Dream a Little Dream, Blown Away, Blown Away, Good One, National Lampoon's Last Resort. Never seen it. Dream a Little Dream Two. Oh, Busted, and Lost Boys: The Tribe. And that one's a little iffy because Corey Haim doesn't appear, or yeah, Corey Haim doesn't appear until the end credits. Yeah. But they both are in it. Neither Corey Feldman nor Corey Haim had a driver's license when filming started. License to Drive would mark the fourth occasion at the time when Corey Haim would beat out Corey Feldman for the lead role in the film that they were both auditioning for, with Lost Boys, Lucas, and Murphy's Romance being the previous three. License to Drive features music from Billy Ocean, New Edition, and DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. It had a really good soundtrack. It currently holds a 24% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to every single one of those houses and voted thumbs down for that. And Robert Ebert gave just it crying. two and a half out of four stars. That's not bad. Not bad. Describing it as more than passable summer entertainment, especially when it identifies with the yearnings of its young heroes yes. to get behind the wheel. Yep. It's He said that the first half of the film was very funny, but the second half was much more predictable. Yeah. License to Drive is currently available to stream on Stars and can, of course, be purchased on DVD and Blu-ray. I have it on VHS. Or if you go out in the wild, <laughs> or eBay, you can find it on VHS. Or come to my house. We'll watch or go it. to Joel's house. Go to Joel Buster. I don't have the case. I just have the tape. I so saw it. I, yeah, I think it's one of the ones that has it written on yep, it. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I saw it there. But I'm still happy to get it. So, License to Drive, I have not watched in probably 30 years. It's just it's such an A's movie. It's 90 minutes. It's just... What's the worst that could happen? And I remember the part where I remember Heather Graham's character, Mercedes, like she just gets like totally hammered, doesn't yep. she? Ends up in the trunk. Yeah. The cops like, like catch him, but like, oh, there's a shooting downtown. We got to go. He's like, oh, it's your lucky night, mister. <laughs> mister, I got a girl. Because there's only one cop. Yeah. Well, there's two. One drove by. He couldn't have called anybody else. Like, we're going to leave you with this girl blocked in your trunk, but, but you know. Get home. <laughs> uh, I don't remember a whole lot else. Like, I. I vaguely remember the end where he, like, jumps in her car. Yeah, because that's driving. the best ending, too, because, like, they wreck the grandpa's Cadillac, so they're super nervous about it, because, like, he wrecks it that night, and his mom oh, gets grandpa's barring yeah, their and car, they, Yeah, right? and they have, the, yeah, the grandpa has their car, they have grandpa's car. Yeah. So then when his mom goes into labor, 
And, like, she doesn't want the dad to drive, so he, he's pissed at, you know, Les. But Les has to drive. The car will only go. This is at the end. The car will only go in reverse. So he has to get reverse <laughs> to the hospital. And then, like, he's forgiven for everything. Right. Because, you know. Well, he could drive backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. He, you know, even though he failed the test, lied about it. Yeah. Got yeah. caught lying about it. Oh, so many good scenes in that movie. Yeah. But, but uh, so then the grandpa shows up, and he's like, where's my car? <laughs> and they're like, oh, it was all Les's fault, you know, the dad. But he starts laughing because their car shows up and it's just as wrecked. So everything's all forgiven everywhere. <laughs> and at the end, he goes, hey, Les, you've always wanted a BMW, right? And gives him the key. And he goes, and the best chorus ever, he goes, oh, dad, actually, uh, I got a Mercedes. And threw the keys back <laughs> at him. And, like, she shows up in one of those, like, little tiny 80s convertibles. I don't even know what the fuck they're called. But, like, yep. just those little tiny, like, Geo probably something. And scoots over and he gets in. Still with no license. No license. Still with no license. It's the 80s. Yeah, but he, she, he gets in and they drive off. So he drives off without a license? Yeah. But he gets the girl and he gets, you know, her car. Good for him. Yeah. Good for Corey. Yep. Corey Haim needed all the good things. And as, like, a 10, 11-year-old, you're like, man, yeah, I want to I wanna be cool. I want to... They, like I said, the second half, though, where, like, all the crazy shit starts happening. You're like, what? They always talk about movies that couldn't be made today. Like, they always say, like, you know, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. But License to Drive probably couldn't be made today because, like, young people, I mean, from the very few that I've interacted with, like, through <laughs> wrestling training, nobody wants to drive anymore. Yeah. Everybody, like, I remember I could not wait to have a driver's license. I didn't think I'd ever get... I just wanted, I wanted to be able to go. Yeah, from, like, 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. 10, from 10, <laughs> age 10 on. I was like, I'm never going to be 16. I'll never drive. And yeah, because I just wanted, like, I would, gas was still only, like, a dollar or something. <laughs> so old. You could just, like, have change in your yeah. car, and it would pay for your gas to get wherever you, like. Yeah. And I just would drive. Like, I wouldn't have anywhere in mind to go. You'd have a couple buddies. And... Just, just go play. But now, like, nobody, when we started doing the wrestling training, I mean, we had, like, a bunch of, like, early 20s kids, you know. Yeah. Some were, like, 17, 18, but anywhere from 17 to, like, 24. And hardly anyone had driver's license. And I was like, you do realize that a big part of wrestling is traveling, <laughs> traveling. right? Like, I get a ride. How do you I mean, not I have a class? I, think I had the classes in school for driving. 11th grade. Yeah, yeah. Like, driver's ed was in school. I only took it for, like, I don't feel like I was in it for more than, like, a week, though. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it was very long. Like, I don't think it had, like, a... Let's get you out there. Schedule the way that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to watch License to Drive again. I think we should watch it sometime. I yeah. got it. Stream it. Well, I'd love to do, if we could get a movie night together. Yeah. Uh, I would love to do, like, a live watch along with License to Drive. Yeah. As, like, our first showing. Uh, but let's take a break. Number one. We'll come back with the rest of Joel's list. Oh, there's more? There's four more. <laughs> Math! So we will be right back after this break. All right, we're back. And if you're so damn good at guitar solos, why don't you rip one out? Right now? Right now. Right here? Right here. I didn't bring my guitar. Well, that's okay. I didn't rah, rah, rah. Bigly, bigly, bigly. <laughs> bigly, bigly. What the fuck? I'll swallow you up. Okay. That's a bass, I guess. I don't Dude, know. That was awful. We're not talking about music. We're talking about 80s movies. Yeah, 80s movies. So we're going to get back into Joel's list. We already talked about I thought you were just going to get back into Joel. <laughs> oh, man. I'm glad you kept going. Get out of my... <laughs> dreams and get it that, that song was in license to drive <laughs> yes, that's sir. how it ended get out of my dreams of course it 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 all right next I had up that written on my original list i'm glad you said that that's why we're so good together and you here you are during the breaks so we have manufactured <laughs> chemistry <laughs> you're not supposed to talk about it what happens in the break stays in the break 
<laughs> All right, next up, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Stephen King, and featuring one of the two Corys, Feldman going solo on this one. <laughs> Stand By Me was released. Oh, hey, was like, you take this one. You got this <laughs> you one. You just go ahead. Just, I feel like this little story is not going to be. my ear off? Nah, man, that ain't me. That's Stand, you. you Stand By Me was released on August 22nd, 1986, by Columbia oh, Pictures. Keith Sutherland? With an estimated budget of $8 million. And a worldwide gross of over $52 million. The soundtrack is, I have it on CD, it's one of the best soundtracks. It like re, like, it brought Benny King's, like, Stand By Me back. Yeah. Uh, Based on King's 1982 novella, The Body, the film stars Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, and your boy, Jerry O'Connell. Meow, 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 Jerry O'Connell! In his film debut. Oh, really? Yeah. And Corey. I mentioned yeah, I know, I know. Oh, okay. I had to mention him again. As four boys who go on a hike to find the dead body of a missing boy. As boys do. As boys do. As boys do. Considered by many to be one of the most influential films of the 80s, <sighs> as well as one of the greatest films of all time, Stand By Me would go on to win Golden Globe Awards for both Best Motion Picture in the Drama Category and for Best Director. I need it on VHS. If anyone out there is listening and has it, holla at your boy. You don't have it. I would have done taking it. <laughs> in the summer of 1959 in Castle Rock, Oregon, four 12-year-old boys, Gordy, played by Will Wheaton, Chris, played by w- River Phoenix, uh, Teddy, played by Corey Feldman, and Vern, played by... Vern! <laughs> it's fucking cold. Find out that the body of a recently deceased kid around their age, uh, Ray Brower... Ray Brower! Oh. ...was recently discovered by Vern's older brother, Billy out in the woods somewhere, and was most likely still out there somewhere because Billy, who at the time was in a stolen car, refused to report his discovery to the police. Wanting to be heroes in each other's and their hometown's eyes, they set out on their journey. Guns, trains, dogs, leeches, campfire stories about lard-ass Hogan, and the threat of being stabbed by Ace Merrill, played by Kiefer Sutherland, oh, so good. and his gang... Nothing is too big for the boys to overcome except life lessons and a shared experience that bonds them forever. Deciding that no one will get credit for discovering Ray Brower's body, Gordy and his friends ultimately realized that finding a dead body wasn't what they were hoping to discover, but rather, it was themselves that they were searching oh, for all along. Oh, yeah. It was the narrated. It was like one of the good 80s narration movies. It was narrated and bookended by Richard Dreyfus as the grown-up adult version of Gordy. The film begins with Dreyfus reading a newspaper article about a fatal stabbing, which leads him to reminisce about the adventure he went on with his friends all those years ago. The film ends with Dreyfus wrapping everything up and catching us, the viewer, up with what happened to his friends, stating that Teddy and Vern grew distant over the years. Uh, Vern married straight out of high school, had four children, and became a forklift driver at a lumberyard. Teddy attempted to join the Army but was rejected due to his poor eyesight and ear injury. He eventually served some jail time and performed odd jobs around Castle Rock. Chris managed to stick it in school, stick it out in school with Gordy, and went to college to become a lawyer. However, it's revealed that he was stabbed and killed oh. when he tried to break up a fight in a fast food restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah. bringing us full circle back to the article that Dreyfus was reading at the start of the film. Shit, I don't think I ever used to realize that as a kid. <laughs> the film ends with Gordy finishing a memoir he's been writing about his childhood and leaving to take his son and one of his son's friends swimming. Rob Reiner considers, considers this the best film he has ever made, and Rotten Tomatoes likely agrees, as Stand By Me currently holds a 92% fresh rating. Okay. 
and their site on their site with a 94% audience score. Nice. Stand by me. Who couldn't like that? It's a it's one of the best movies ever. Uh, it's currently streaming on Sling and is available, you know, yeah. DVD, Blu-ray, VHS. Uh, definitely could have been on my list. That was a big movie for me too when I was a kid in the eighties. Watching that, yeah, just wanted to go on a little adventure. Never forget the leech scene. Yeah. Never forget uh, the cold on, scene on the train tracks yeah. where he's like, "Train." <laughs> uh, he's standing on it for way too long. Yeah. Uh, he could have at any time probably moved. But I do, I I know, like, as a kid, if you found out there was something, like, I don't know, a dead body. Yeah. Specifically, but if you found out there was something out in, like, the woods or, like... You don't want to go. There was an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. You were all in. Like, it didn't, like, uh, the main guy's older brother die or something? Was that part of it? Uh, Corey Hain or Corey, or Will Wheaton. Or was that, maybe I'm thinking of... No, that was it. No, Will Wheaton's brother had died, like, in a car crash. Okay, yeah. Something like that. I forget who his brother was played by. Um, Oh, John Cusack. John Cusack. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd given him his hat. Yep, yep. Yeah, Yeah. and then they'd bully Ace takes it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Will Wheaton is so good in that. Uh, Whole cast. Whole cast. It really is one of the best movies ever made. That's 86, so I'd probably probably definitely watch that at, like, eight or nine years old. Yeah, I figure I'd probably probably, probably watch it at, like, 89. That was everywhere. That was everywhere. All right, next up, if you didn't think Back to the Future was going to make this list, you can make like a tree and get out of here. Yeah. Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly, a typical teenager with a knack for adventure. Marty's best he friend. He ain't no chicken. <laughs> he ain't no chicken. Don't call him a chicken. Don't even fucking call That's not even a chicken noise. You don't make any bird noise. Marty's best friend is the eccentric, eccentric scientist, Dr. That's kind of weird. We don't have to get into that. A.K.A. Doc, <laughs> played by Christopher Lloyd. Marty lives in Hill Valley, California, with his depressed alcoholic mother, Lorraine, played by Leah Thompson, his older siblings, who are professional and social failures, and his meek father, George, played by Crispin Glover, who's bullied by his supervisor, Biff Tannen, played by Tom Wilson. After Marty's band fails a music audition, he confides in his girlfriend, Jennifer Parker, that he fears becoming like his parents despite his ambitions. There's a scene, and I forgot about it until I was kind of reading uh, some stuff for it. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and I was reading like a little review, and there's a scene with him and his girlfriend after he fails the band audition. And yeah. He's talking to her, and they're talking about like uh, him sneaking out, uh, or he, he told his parents that he was going to friend like a friend's house. Yeah, that way he could go like with her, and like they've already like established that they're a couple because uh-huh. like they go in for a kiss a couple times. But then her dad shows up right as they're about to kiss again, and she grabs a paper that he has like a flyer for a save the clock tower. Yeah. And she writes her phone number on it and then writes love you and yeah. hands it to him. But, like, if you're already, if they're already, like, this far along, she has the number. why would he just not be getting her phone number? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that night, Marty yeah, she has trust issues, meets okay. Doc in the Twin Pines. Let her go at her own speed. Okay. It's not, I, it's not up to you. Look, I'm with you. Uh, that night, Marty meets Doc in the Twin Pines marking mall parking lot. And Doc unveils a time machine built from a modified DeLorean powered by plutonium that he had swindled from Libyan terrorists. <laughs> what a setup. What an 80 sentence. After Doc inputs a destination time of November, November 5th, 1955, the terrorists arrive unexpectedly and gun Doc down. Yep. He dead. Marty flees in the DeLorean, inadvertently activating time travel when he reaches... 88 miles per hour. That's right. Desperate to get back to the future and fix the timeline, but without the necessary plutonium to do so, Marty encounters a younger version of his parents. But here's the catch. 
He inadvertently interferes with the first meeting, jeopardizing his very existence. Uh, now, Marty must find a way to bring his parents together while also avoiding the romantic advances of his own mother. What a great idea, great for a movie, man. With the clock ticking, he seeks the help of the younger Doc Brown, who's initially skeptical of his wild tale. Together, they hatch a plan to reunite Marty's parents and get him back to the future using lightning back to, the to power the DeLorean back to the future. Maneuvering through high school dances, fast-paced chases, and a lightning storm that holds the key to his return... Marty races against time to ensure his own existence and restore the timeline. Along the way, he learns valuable lessons about family, courage, and the importance of embracing your own destiny. Released on July 3, 1985 by Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment, with an estimated budget of $19 million, Back to the Future would go on to gross. You got to guess? $200 million. More. 300 More. 500 Less. $420 $400 million. $400 million worth. Wow. It has solidified its spot in our pop culture, leaving behind a legacy that includes two sequels, a theme park. There's two sequels? A theme park ride. <laughs> toys, video games, board games, comic books, novels, and an animated show that spanned 26 episodes across two seasons that aired from September 14th, 91 to December 26th, 92. I don't remember the cartoon. I barely remember. I, yeah. I mostly remember the... Uh, the, the toys, the cover, or like the I remember logo. Burger King toys. I don't know if that has anything to do with cartoons. I don't know, yeah. Pro. but I think the cartoon had like a had like because of course it did. It was an '80s cartoon uh-huh. or it was a '90s cartoon. But I think it gave them like a little like sidekick guy, like a I think uh, like a yeah. alien. I I don't I didn't want anything to do with any Back to the Future made in the '90s. The movie, the cartoons, none of it. Yeah, it all kind of went to shit. Just leave it alone, that too. Video game's terrible. Yeah. For the Nintendo. But the first two movies, the first Great. movie especially, they're on my list. Directed, or Back to the Future was a critical success, garnering positive reviews and receiving four nominations at the 43rd Golden Globes. Uh, best motion, motion picture for a musical comedy. Best actor in a motion picture, musical comedy. Uh, and that was for Michael J. Fox. Best original song. The Power of Love. Yeah, with Huey Lewis, who was in the movie. Who was one of the judges. Yep, for, for the band thing. And best screenplay by uh, Bob, Mc- Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. Impressive first script that had been rejected 44 times. Great Scott! 44 times? People passed on it 44 times. They're like, yeah, well, he's kissing his mom. We don't want to go He's that. friends with an old man. Yeah. His mom's trying to bang him. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of weird stuff going on. Uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Ro- Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, Back to the Future is a beloved film and currently holds a 97% nice. rating on Rotten Tomatoes' Tomato Meter with a 94% audience score. And I bet the second one has 90%. It's probably up too. there. Yeah. Uh, numerous special editions are available on DVD and Blu-ray, and the movie is currently available to stream on Freebie. Yeah, I got a good Blu-ray set of all of them. Yeah, let's see what the Back to the Future 2... And I've, Oh, man, I bet the third is like in the 60%. I just can't get into the third. I've watched it dozens of times. I wanted to love it, but it's just... I can't. The first and second one are so good. I, just don't, there's, I don't think anything the third one could have done could have held up to them. Let's see. Part 2 came out in 89. It oh, has uh, a... That's in the 80s. 63%. Wow, that low. 63. On the tomato meter and an 85% audience. All score. right, yeah, 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 85. And then let's see God, how then, far the third one drops. Man, it must be 30 and 50% then. Back to the Future 3. Curly's Gold. Wow. 
Yes. On, on the tomato meter. Uh-huh. Is it higher than the second one? 80%. What? With a 78% audience score. What? That is crazy. So, it, people... Uh, 17% fresher than part two. Seemed like three over two. These must be the well, people... people liked it these less. These must be the... Critics liked it more. Yeah. Wait, so people like three less, but the critics liked it more? Yeah. Okay. Because the audience liked part two by 80, 85% audience how, score. How could the critics see part two, then part three? <laughs> it's just another, it's a rehash of a rehash. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like my idea of three fried beans. Yeah, beans, <laughs> yes. refried beans. Why would you motherfucking three fried beans? Oh no, the cartoon gives them a dog. Uh, it's it, it's Einstein. The dog is a character. Oh, okay, yeah, sidekick character. Uh, yeah, it came out in ninety one. Um, Fuck the nineties. Did not have uh, Michael J. Fox. What year were you born? Eighty three. Eighty three. I lived through every year of the eighties, son. Yeah, whooper snapper. Sorry. You better. Don't talk to me in that I tone. I have to go back to the future now. <laughs> Don't talk to me in that tone. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, back to the future one and two. They're both on my list. I snuck another one in. <laughs> Top six. <laughs> These days, movies based on popular comic books are released seemingly every other week. But in 89, aside from Superman, their impact on pulp culture had barely made a dent. There had been numerous films with ties to comic books, dating all the way back to 1937's The Shadow Strikes, based on the story Ghost of the Manor, written by Walter B. Gibson, under the pen name Maxwell Grant. The Shadow was featured on a popular radio show and also as a pulp magazine crime fighter. In 72, Tales from the Crypt got the movie treatment. 78, Saw Superman hit the big screen. 72, there was a Tales from the Crypt movie? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. 1972. 1972. The year of our Lord. 1872. 1972. <laughs> there was a Tales the Crypt. I mean, yeah, there's Tales from the Crypt movies in the 90s. But there wasn't a Tales from the Crypt movie in 1972. Tales from the Crypt. 1972. 1972. 1972. I don't know if it is based on the show. Oh, oh yeah. So I may have lied about it being based on a comic book, too. But, I mean, is the show based on the comic there. book? Okay. All right, I'm sorry. Go, go uh, on. It's got Joan Collins, Peter Cushing. Uh, no, I think it is based on the show. So it has a little guy. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Only two stories of the movie, Reflection of Death and Blind Alleys, originally appeared in EC Comics. Oh, so this is based on the comics, Tales from, okay. the, Tales from the Crypt, which yeah, the show will later be based on. Yeah, I had a couple of those comics. Um, yeah. Sorry. Call me a liar. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Swamp Thing came out in 1982. Watched it. And Marvel's Howard the Duck thrilled and terrified yours truly in 1986. Yeah, I bet that's on your list. By the time Superman 4 was released in 87, there had been dozens and dozens of comic book-based movies released in the theaters and on television, but none changed the landscape like 1989's Batman. I, mean, I could never get into Superman movies. Like, I, I watched them. I have always hated Superman. Yeah, Everything related to him. I don't really... He's I've too never, overpowered. I, yeah, like, a, nothing matters in a Superman story. <laughs> like, uh, he could, I watched them. I remember the, the, the three people that all wore black. And I, mean, I, yeah. remember the I definitely movies. have watched them. Yeah. I just, but, yeah, what you're about to say, though, that... I've like, never cared about. Set my Superman, 80s. But yeah, 1989, Perfect. Batman comes out. Directed by Tim Burton. Yeah. And released on June 23rd by Warner Brothers. Batman grossed over $400 million worldwide. Jesus. I or, went to the theater at least twice. I definitely saw it in the theaters. In the 80s, yeah. So obviously it came out in the summer of 89. Yeah. 
had an estimated budget of $35 million. Starring Michael Keaton as Batman, Bruce Wayne, Jack Nicholson as Joker, and Kim Basinger as Vicki Vale, the film takes place in Gotham, a city in crime and corruption, drowning in crime and corruption, that's plagued by the emergence of the enigmatic Batman, a vigilante disguised as a bat who strikes fears into the hearts of criminals. Meanwhile, the Joker, a sadistic and unhinged criminal mastermind, wreaks havoc with his deadly pranks and wicked laughter. As Batman battles the Joker, we discover the roots of their bitter rivalry. The Joker's origins are revealed, tracing back to a tragic accident that transformed him into the chaos-loving clown we know today. With his twisted sense of humor and army of goons at his disposal, the Joker sets out to not only challenge Batman, but also unleash chaos upon Gotham City. I love the reveal scene. Put, yeah, but he's just face-painted. It's really just, I mean, he <laughs> just bleached his skin. Uh, amidst this clash of dark and light, Batman finds an unexpected ally in the resourceful and clever reporter Vicky Vale. Together, they navigate the treacherous streets of Gotham and strive to uncover Joker's ultimate plan. With his mesmerizing visuals, brooding atmosphere, and captivating performances, yeah! Batman offers a unique and gritty take on the beloved superhero. Michael Keaton shines as the tormented Bruce Wayne, while Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker is a captivating blend of madness and malevolence. Tim Burton's Batman presents a dark and stylish vision of the beloved superhero, bringing to life the complex characters and the hauntingly beautiful Gotham City. So fasten your utility belts... And get ready to be immersed in the gothic tale of vengeance, justice, and the eternal struggle between good and evil. Keaton's casting as Batman was controversial at the time, as he was known primarily as a comedic actor. Yeah. Nick also he wasn't a big Mr. Mom. He really wasn't a big guy. No. Nicholson, I, I could take him. You could beat the shit out of Michael Keaton. Right now. Even. Today. Today. Bring it on, Mike. I like you. You're my favorite Batman. Uh, Nicholson was known well, for his go. roles in films like Easy Rider, Chinatown, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and The Shining. And The Shining. And having already been nominated multiple times for Best Supporting Actor and Best Actor, winning that award in 76 for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, he accepted the role of the Joker under strict conditions that he dictated top billing, a portion of the film's earnings, including associated merchandise, and had his own shooting schedule. Robin Williams had initially been offered the role of Joker after Nicholson was hesitant to accept it, but once Nicholson agreed what to a it, prick. Williams was released and was left feeling like he'd been used as bait. Aww. In the months Poor before, Robin Williams. I can't. I would love to have seen the, like, I wish they would have shot both versions. Yeah. Like t- like how they did the, they, they shot like a little bit of Back to the Future with a different Marty McFly. Yeah. Uh, I feel the guy's name. Oh, uh, yeah. Me too. Eric Roberts. No. Yeah. Stoltz. Stoltz. Oh, yeah, Stoltz. yeah, yeah, Eric Stoltz. And apparently everybody hated him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it wouldn't work with him. Uh, in the months before Batman's release in June 89, a popular culture phenomena known as Batmania began. It was like the first movie to be dark like that. Dark and like... It was like the first dark superhero. It was like dark and colorful, if that yeah. makes sense. Because uh, the Joker is just like bright. Yeah, just it's, it was so good, man. Uh, over $750 million worth of merchandise was sold. A marketing research group called Marketing Evaluation Incorporated assessed Batman's box office potential... And they concluded that it was going to be a flop. <laughs> so, if you go back to the future in time, don't hire them. Yeah. <laughs> marketing company. I feel like that was a movie, too, I think I got for Christmas that year on VHS. Because if it came out in June, I'm sure it was on VHS by that Christmas. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, because I, I watched that movie a ton. With a marketing campaign including four collectible cups from Taco Bell, a soundtrack album from Prince, the yellow bat symbol Party plastered like it's 1999. literally almost everywhere. 
the 89 film revolutionized the way films capitalized and marketed and merchandised opportunities. Video games, toys, t-shirts, costumes, school supplies, cereal, the list goes on and on. Batman led to numerous sequels that turned into numerous reboots that are still being released, released today. The 89 film has a rating currently on Rotten Tomatoes of 74%, with an audience score of 84%, and can be streamed right now on Max. Or seen at my house on VHS. Or my house on VHS. I have these top five, except for what the movie you're about to say, and Stand By Me, I need on VHS. I, uh, yeah, Batman was definitely, like, one of my favorites. Like, it was on my list originally, then when I saw it was on yours... I was like, okay, I can. When people cheered in the theater when the Batmobile came on and stuff. So cool. I just, yeah, I everything about it was awesome. Yep, I do remember the Batman, uh, the Batmobile, uh, like Matchbox car, Hot yeah. Wheels, whatever, whoever put it out. I had some of the toys. I had like a Joker toy, Batman toy. Then a lot of the merchandise I remember was from the sequels. Because I remember McDonald's had the uh, the glasses with the yeah. characters on them yeah. for Batman Forever, I think. Because it the had one, the characters etched in them. Is that the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger? It was whatever one had Riddler and Tom in um, oh, Two Face. Oh, Two Face. Yeah, I can't. That, the, I watched them all, and I have the first, you know, from 89, the next, that one plus the next three on VHS. But but the McDonald's glasses were like, mixed uh, up. the characters like popped off of them. Yeah. And were like etched. Yeah, I remember those. I remember a lot of the Batman stuff from like after the first one, the, as far as the marketing goes. I do remember the Batman serial, though. Uh, yeah. it just looked like the VHS cover. Yeah, uh, yeah, Batman's that fucking amazing. Shit. I still can't believe people thought it was gonna do bad. Yeah, like especially because Superman was pretty popular. I mean, I never got into it, but the Superman movies did pretty good. I thought. And then now in the new Flash movie coming out, Michael Keaton returns yeah, as back, Batman, yeah. which is pretty awesome. So wait, the Flash actor is that the guy that's like problematic? Yeah, and he's in the movie too. Yeah, like they were gonna like not release it. And then I think it died. I think like all the controversy died down enough that they're like, all right, let's just let's just throw it out there. Yeah, Michael Keaton because they're focusing a lot on the Michael Keaton yeah. and, like, and like other the, characters, and like the Supergirl, I think too. Yeah, so they're because I've never seen the Flash, but I've just I know that Ezra Miller or something. He's like done some. Really, yeah, I never watched. He's done I, some shit. I never watched Justice League. No. I tried to watch Batman versus Superman. It's awful. Four times I fell asleep. It's all awful. four times. Yeah, it took me a couple times to get through it. Yeah. I, for the most part... I like Christian Bale's Batman. I mean, I, I like those movies. Yeah. I go back and watch those. I loved the... Uh, I hated the Batman with Chris O'Donnell as Robin. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Was, I loved the one with Robert Pattinson. Um, Bat- the Batman. The I've Bat- only watched the it the one time. I didn't hate it, but it's just... It was long, though. It's I guess so one long I and dark. Again. Yeah, and it's just, like, super slow pace. But it's everything I love, like, in a Batman comic. Like, the it focuses so much on the detective part. Yeah. So... All right, next up on the list, RoboCop was conceived in the early 80s by Universal Pictures' junior story executive and expiring screenwriter Edward Numier. A fan of robot-themed science fiction films such as Star Wars as well as action films, Numier had developed an interest in mature comic books while researching them for potential adaptations. The 82 science fiction film Blade Runner was filming on the Warner Brothers parking lot behind his office, and he unofficially joined the production to learn about filmmaking. His work there gave him the idea for RoboCop. He said, quote, I had this vision of a far distant Blade Runner type world where there was an all mechanical cop coming to a sense of real human intelligence. He spent the next few nights writing a 40 page outline while researching story submissions. Cocaine. Universal. Uh, he came across a student video by aspiring director Michael Miner. The pair met and discussed their similar concepts. Numir's uh, RoboCop and Miner's robot themed rock music video. I couldn't find what. 
music video that was. The pair formed a working partnership and spent about two months discussing the idea, plus two to three months writing together at, at night and <laughs> over weekends. Okay. That's how most things in the 80s <laughs> yep. uh, This They did all of this while holding regular jobs. Their collaboration was initially difficult because they did not know each other well and had to learn how to constructively criticize each other. Uh, Numir was. See, I can just criticize you all the fuck all I want. It's just you cry about later, you yeah. know, and you criticize well, me, and I cry about later, but yeah. it's fine. It works. Yeah, you dumb fuck. Go yeah. on. I know what you mean. You fucking <laughs> your stupid shirt. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> me and my girlfriend tie dyed this shirt, and I love it. Look, it says I've got your back, and there's stink people, and, you- and the one stink person grabbed the other person's back. Great, so you're celebrating violence. Yeah, my dad got me this shirt twice. He got for me once in black and then in white, and then we tie-dyed it. Why'd you got it all covered? So you leave my shirt out of it. All right, I won't talk about your stupid Thank shirt you. anymore. <laughs> New Mira was influenced to kill off his main character early on by the psychological horror film Psycho, whose heroine, who heroine was killed in the first act. Inspired by comic books and his personal experience with pop culture, or corporate culture, Numira wanted to satirize 80s business culture, noting the increasing regression of American financial services in response to a growing Japanese influence, and that a popular book on Wall Street was the Book of Five Rings, a 17th century text discussing how to kill more effectively. He also believed that Detroit's declining automobile industry was due to increased bureaucracy. Miner described the film as comic relief for a cynical time during the presidency of Ronald Reagan. A spec skip script was completed by December 1984. I do like that he was on the Universal lot working on something else. Yeah. Like he was the junior ex- story executive. And he just decided, to like, I'm just going to unofficially join this production team of of uh, Blade Runner. Like, how did just... I'm a part of this now. <laughs> it was the 80s, man. She was wild. <laughs> that led to the film being released on July 17, 1987 by Orion Pictures with an estimated budget of $13 million. It would go on to gross over $53 million wow. worldwide. In RoboCop, we follow the journey of Alex Murphy, a dedicated police officer who was brutally murdered in the line of duty. Brutally, I mean, dude. Brutally. That's what I remember while I'm watching that movie. Like, we rented it. I remember my dad found a beta machine in the trash on the Air <laughs> Force base. And he was excited. That's probably where I get it from. So he brought it home, and we went to the, like, I remember we went and rented this, and I think Fletch. But I just remember watching this and, like, how brutal that, like, oh, my, like, okay, we get it. they just keep shooting him, right? Just keep shooting them, but no one shoots him in the face. Right. They're like, you know, nipples down, that's the rule. Now, do they shoot him in the dick, or does he shoot a guy in the dick later? He sh- that- as Robocop, he shoots the guy in the dick because okay. like the, he the guy's got the girl in front of him with the dress and her legs are kind of spread and I guess he must he be shoots shorter. Through the dress. Yeah, yeah, That's he right. shoots through the dress and then like does the beep, beep, bop, bop, where he spins the gun and it like goes into his leg. <laughs> beep, bop, bop, bop. I don't know why he does. He's not a transformer. <laughs> well, that he's baby be, food. That'd, a gr- that'd be a great uh, oh Robocop transformer reboot to make today. Fuck yeah! <laughs> it would squish whatever's inside left of him though. So hold on to your helmets, because that's just the beginning. Murphy's remains are transformed into the ultimate crime-fighting machine by Omni Consumer Products, a powerful corporation with a version for a safer Detroit. Enter RoboCop, a cyborg law enforcement officer armed with state-of-the-art weaponry and programmed to uphold justice. Hell yeah! As RoboCop takes to the crime This city's streets, a guitar solo! <laughs> yeah. He begins to uncover a web of corruption and betrayal within the very organization that created him. Along the way, he clashes with a rogue gang led by the sadistic Clarence Boddicker, a dangerous criminal who will stop at nothing to assert his dominance. Or Red from the 70s show. show. (laughs) What's his name? Uh, uh, Something Smith. 
shit, I forget. Uh, Wood, Woody, Woodyard, Woodyard Smith. I don't. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll look it up. You okay. Go. Um. Uh, oh, here's where things get interesting. As Robocop investigates his own past and the truth behind his transformation, he discovers flashes of his previous life as Alex Murphy, embracing his humanity. Humanity, not humanity. Humanity, <laughs> I'm the humanity today. Amidst the meadow and circuitry, he seeks justice not only for himself but also for the innocent victims of crimes. Did you figure Kurt his name? Kurtwood. Kurtwood, yeah. With explosive action sequences, intense shootouts, and a hefty dose of satirical social comedy com- commentary, Robocop delivers a gripping tale of redemption. When the guy drove into the acid and his eyes all hanging out. <laughs> That stuck with me. It is pretty fucking violent. <laughs> that stuck with me. Uh, Peter's well, Peter Weller's performance as RoboCop strikes the perfect balance between machine-like efficiency and glimpses of the man trapped within the robotic shell. As the bullets fly... Aren't we all just men trapped inside a robotic shell? I feel like that every day. Exactly, man. And I mean, the way AI is right now. I'm a robo-man. We're all going to be dead. Cool. So, uh, as the bullets fly, the city burns. Robocop must confront his own inner demons and navigate a treacherous landscape of power-hungry executives, corrupt cops, and ruthless, ruthless criminals. In the midst of it all, he discovers the true power of humanity and the importance of fighting for justice, no matter the cost. Robocop opened to generally positive, positive reviews, which surprises me. Yeah. I feel like looking back, like that was a movie. That What's was the like, release date of that? Do you have it? That feels like a. I don't know why. It feels yeah, like a it was released. Uh, was that a summer one? Eighty-seven, July seventeenth. July. Okay, so it was summer. I probably watched it by that winter then. Critics noticed influences of the film from the action of the Terminator and Aliens, and the narratives of Frankenstein, Repo Man, and the television series Miami Vice. RoboCop built a distinct futuristic ver- vision for Detroit. Uh, wrote two reviewers as Blade Runner had done for Los Angeles. Multiple critics struggled to identify the film's genre, though, writing that it combines social satire and philosophy with elements of action, science fiction, thrillers, westerns, slapstick comedy, romance, snuff films, superhero comics, and campy 80s movies. Get a movie that can do it all. Many reviewers discussed the film's violent content. The violence was so excessive for Ebert and Los Angeles Times that it became deliberately comical. Other reviewers were more critical, including Care and Walter Goodman, who believed RoboCop's satire and critiques of corporate corruption were excuses to indulge in violent visuals. Ultimately, though, RoboCop still remains a popular part of our culture, producing sequels, an animated series, which, that's hilarious. What? <laughs> There's an animated series. Oh, my God. Video games, toys, clothing, multiple DVD I remember DVD I played the Blu-rays. shit out of the video game. There's like three movies, right? And yeah. then the reboot and with the Michael reboot. Keaton. No. Not, I'm pretty sure Michael Keaton. Oh, is he like a... He's Joel Kinnaman plays... He's like one of the okay. executives. Joel Kinnaman plays RoboCop. Yeah. Uh, there's also a comic book. RoboCop currently sits on the tomato meter. Tomato meter with this was shocking to me. What do you no. think it was rated? What do you think it's rated? By critics. Yeah, this is the critics rating. Thirty-five percent. Ninety-one percent. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's a good story too with this family and the I mean, son. I would have guessed like sixty-seven. Flashing back, yeah. I figure with all that violence, is I mean, it's. That's shooting. I watched it recently, probably in the last year or so, and I still I'm just like, okay, <laughs> like how does that not kill him? And then they made it a cartoon, <laughs> so it has a 91 percent wow with an uh, audience score of 84 percent. You can stream it right now on Prime Video, the Roku channel, and for free with ads on Tubi. So those are Joel's top five movies: RoboCop, Batman, 
Back to the Future. Part one and two. Stand by me and license to drive. Yeah. So what would you rank them in order? If you, uh, I had the order. Number five was RoboCop. Four, Batman. Three, Back to the Future. Two, Stand by Me. And one, license so, to drive. Uh, okay, so when you sent it to me, I think you sent them the way you ranked them then. Yeah, probably. Because yeah. I started with the top one went down. So like I said, Ferris Bueller, I feel like could be on that list, but I don't. I think with license to drive, I need. I needed to pick between them. I think with our list, it definitely shows the three-year age gap. Yeah. Because uh, you were already, like, three years ahead of me, so, like, you were already at the age in the middle of the 80s that I was by, like, the 90s, where I started to, like, pay more attention to movies and kind of... So my list definitely has more uh, animated, um, more, like, Kid. And I, yeah, I was watching the YouTube thing about the Transformers movie, and I'm after after watching, I was like, wow, I've been watching that a lot. So the Transformers movie, you remember? Uh, so you know, you remember they kill? Yeah, Optimus uh, Prime. Optimus Prime. Spoiler. That got a lot of negative uh, feedback. They brought him back in the series like two months later. But it changed the GI Joe movie. Uh huh. Because in the GI Joe movie, originally Duke dies. Remember when, uh, did you, did you, have you watched the Jedi? I haven't movie? seen it in a long time. I mean, I remember, like, the Snake Man, Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, I remember, I was a big G.I. Joe kid, but. So the Snake guy, so Serpentor. Yeah. In the beginning of the movie, he throws a snake and it plunges into Duke's heart. And in the original movie, script and everything, or even, uh, they already finished it. Yeah. Duke dies. And, like, that you hear over, like, you, uh, Scarlet says, like, he's gone. Yeah. Well, in the movie, they went in and overdubbed her saying he's gone with a like announcement over like a inter, like a intercom thing yeah. being like at the very end of the movie being like uh uh hey good news joe's duke's gonna make it <laughs> <G-I-Go>! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah because after optimus prime people were like yeah no you can't just be fucking yeah, killing they thought that they could just kill him off and like they're gonna kids are just gonna buy the new one which hot rod was pretty cool the one they replaced yeah him with. But the, yeah, that was. Weird. I was never, I never was able to get into Transformers. I my brothers were, so that helped me a lot. But like GI Joe was my thing. I got into on my own, and then I just always had Transformers too because they were into them. I've always been against robots. Yeah, I always knew I what know. those sons of bitches had planned for us. Corey, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you hate Robocop so much. But yeah, I do. Uh, once we, we'll be back with part two, where we'll do my top five. Part two. Uh, you'll definitely see where there's a little bit of the age difference shows. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah. You're just a young whippersnapper. If you're listening to this, you're in the area where, you know, we're in Parkersburg. If you're in our area, let us know if you'd be interested in doing a movie night. Uh, we were actually talking about uh, getting with our buddy uh, over Aaron over at Monstrous Horde in Marietta. Yeah. Uh, seeing if he would want to do, like, a movie night and VHS swap. Because uh, we both have plenty of VHS tapes, yeah. and we're sure other people do. So you could bring anything you're willing to trade. Uh, maybe we can make some deals. Uh, but then we'd do like a live watch-along. We'd start with License to Drive. Uh, we could talk over it. Have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just talk over it. I, mean, I don't think we're going to miss no. the, the plot. I'm pretty sure we can follow it. I'm, uh, I'm going to woo every time a Corey's on screen. <laughs> it's going to be a lot like of Like Saved by the Bell, you know, <laughs> where like, two of the characters kiss. And yeah. I was like, woo! So you can only do it when they're both on screen. Yeah, you can only do it when both Corey's are on screen. Oh, that's a lot of the movie. Luckily. That's most of the movie. All right, let us know what you thought about Joel's top five picks. Uh, guess what I'm Corey Hayne. You're Corey Feldman. If we were going to be Corey's. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, that's how it is, though. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> 
I feel bad. Well, I, yeah, you I don't should. Know, I don't know if I feel bad or not. <laughs> I mean, I'm still alive. Yeah, you're still alive. What happened? Oh, yes, still what happened to Courtney? I think just drugs. Was it drugs? I, would, I mean, maybe like sickness that came from. I, I think it had something to do with just a hard life. I mean, it would probably look. Because, you know, they've come out later and so said, like, he, they both, you know, were put through the Hollywood figure. Yeah. yeah, I haven't watched that. Uh, the Corey's documentary? Yeah, it's, but I've not watched it. I heard it's pretty bad. Uh, guys. He died 38 years old. 38? Fuck. Um, Los Angeles police initially let's, stated let's that Haynes' death. Let's bring it down. Right at the end of the episode, let's just bring it all the way down. Yeah. Uh, initially, I thought it was an accidental overdose. Um... He died of diffusive alveolar damage and pneumonia, together with a couple other things. His death was ruled a natural death. Okay. As the question whether of drugs were involved, the coroner stated the toxicology report revealed no significant contributing factor. So he could have been just been doing drugs. He definitely had some heavy drug use, though, yeah. in his life. Uh, what were his other... He came, he was like in Crank 2, remember? Like He showed up all surprisingly in Crank 2 and did a really good job as that pimp. Was he? Yeah, he was in Crank too, man. He was. Ah. So he started. Out. I was. He was just. I, I just. So he was. Yeah, that Zach Morris vibe. You know, we're just like he always like his mouth was always yeah. open. You know, he just like. Huh? <laughs> he was in Silver Bullet. Yeah, uh, Silver Bullet, man. I was. I always put that on my list. I was thinking of that movie. He was in the wheelchair with Gary Busey. I think. Gary Busey. Yeah, that was such a good movie. Uh, Watchers. I don't remember that. Um, Prayer of the Roller Boys, Fast I Getaway. I remember Lucas. Yeah, Lucas, Murphy's Room. I think I have that movie that you just said. I think I like I found it on VHS. Fast Getaway? Yeah. Dream Machine, Oh What a Night, The Double O Kid, Anything right. for Love, Fast Getaway 2. Man, he did not. He was in Batman and Robin. Oh, he was uncredited as a biker gang member in Batman and Robin, the wow. one with uh, Arnold. Well, at least he got in there. Then he didn't do anything till 2002. Just drugs. The Backlot Murders. I watched that, actually. That was goddamn terrible. <laughs> uh, Dickie Roberts, former trial star. Oh, that's cool. Lost Boys of the Tribe, Crank High Voltage. Last thing he did was a movie called The Dead Sea. I'll have to watch it, man. R.I.P. Corey. Two movies came out after he died. Decisions and The Dead Sea. Well, Weekend at Bernie's or something? How's that going to work? Because they're using his dead body. <laughs> this is a good ending. <laughs> that's good. Uh, Talk about dead dude. But yeah, let us know what you liked in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, guess what you think my top five are. Uh-huh. Whatever you want to do. Uh, share, <laughs> we're, we're like, follow, do all that stuff. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, go rent a damn movie. Yeah. From Joel Buster. VHS.